hang out with you here on, on the Miracles of StreamYard. We've got a, a lot of Green Bay Packers fans. I'm sure some Carolina Panthers fans and just general uh, football fans that remember your game. Um, you know, probably a game here, a play there. Right. Having the best name in football, of course, as well. <laughs> but uh, you're doing a lot in the world post-NFL, too. So it's just, it's just great to meet you, man. How are you? Yeah, you too. I'm doing great, man. I'm glad to be on your show, man. Thanks for having me. You you got it. Uh, wow. So where, where does it start for you? Now, I want to say you grew up in Oakland. Is that yeah, right? I grew up in Oakland, went to high school and all my schooling in Berkeley. But I grew up and lived in Oakland, went to school in Berkeley. And uh, so I buried a kid all the way. What was it like growing up there? I mean, you hear it can be it can be rough for, for some football players rough, growing man. up there. It, it's, uh, it's definitely inner city. I mean, Oakland at the time, I mean, it was a. Uh, you know, I grew up in East Oakland and just Oakland in general was just, you know, a place that you had to be away your surroundings, man. But it was a great place to live. I mean, I, I got a lot of culture from there. I mean, growing up between Berkeley and Oakland, there's a lot of culture. There's a lot of activism going on. There's, you know, just a lot of just, you know, a lot of movement, man. So, I, I you know, it was all part of my upbringing, man. It all built who I am, man. So the grit, the grind, and it's, it's a real, you know, gritty city, man. Similar to kind of how Detroit was back in the day, man. So it's just, I, I love being from Oakland. It, Everybody from Oakland loves being from Oakland because it gives us, makes us who we are, man. It makes us where it makes us ready for the world. So I love being from Oakland, man. Boy, what were those, uh, those specific, I guess, instances, I don't know, on a football field, off a football field, what were those coming of age moments for you really, Hannibal? Uh, my upbringing in the Bay? Well, I, I always have to go back to this. My, my father was so impactful in my life. He was a, a very well-known um professor and activist in the, in the Bay Area, um, African-American studies professor, but he passed away when I was 13 from leukemia. So he passed away very early in my life. And I think that was one of them turning points where, you know, you have to kind of, you kind of stand on your own two feet at that point in time. You know, every, every parent wants to, you know, when you raise, especially a young man, you raise a son, you hope that one day he can take the lessons you've taught him and can go out and be, you know, you know, and, and make good decisions. And so, you know, it was my time. I, you know, it was a, it's one of those situations you're going to, you know, you're going to sink or swim, man. And, and it was one of the situations I decided to swim. I decided to be inspired by, by my father's passing, so to speak. It was sad, right? I was sad, but I, I felt like I had something to prove to him. You know, I, I felt like the way he taught me in 13 years of my life drove me to be better. I always had this like person on my shoulder, like, you know, that's not a good decision or a good decision. So I had something in my, you know, in my life that really drove me to know what was right and wrong. And just, you know, my mother was still in my life and my mother was also, she also gives a lot of credit to my father for, you know, I said the word raising her, but you know, she he didn't raise my mother, but he taught her a lot as well. So she was able to continue when my father passed away to pour those things into me. And, you know, it was a, it was a period of time where, when my father passed away, a lot changed. He was the, the cornerstone of our family. So, you know, we're, we're a very family-oriented uh, group. And when he passed away, that just changed for a while, right? Everybody kind of went their way. Everybody dealt with, you know, dealt with his passing in their own way. And at that time, mental health wasn't a tag word, right? You know, so imagine a 13-year-old kid whose father was his best friend and passing away. There was no, there was no therapy. There was no mental health talk. There was no, we just all had to, like, deal with it on our own. So my mother dealt with it, how she dealt with it. My brothers and sisters dealt with it on their own, how they dealt with it. And I dealt with it on my own. I think the way I dealt with it, honestly, was football. Um, I, football was my getaway from that, that sadness of my father being gone. And football is what, you know, I got into football because of my father. So me and my father grew up as 49er fans. And so every Sunday, 
that was me and my dad's time, right? It was the 49ers and watching them win. They won four Super Bowls when my dad was alive. So, I mean, that, that was uh, really what got me into football. So when he passed away, I put all my energy and all my, you know, my, my just my effort into just being the best football player I could be. Obviously, I came from an educational family. My father was a teacher. My mother was a teacher. Come from a family of teachers. And so education was always at the forefront of my mind. But football came, came to play. And it's just something that I just, I think for me, it just, I didn't know it at the time. But I just, it, it kept me from just being sad and thinking about my father and all the things around me. But it just drove me to like, let's be good at this. And let's just, you know, we, my father was such a football fan. Let's just do this for him. So I always wore my dad's t-shirt. I always had some insignia of my dad and represented my dad. So that was just really what drove me at that time. So it, it's an escape mainly. Yeah, <clears throat> Excuse me. At that point, you're so young. You're 13. I mean, your life can really go one of two directions. Yeah. So what, f- football was an escape. It was an escape, man, and it, it kept me from the other parts of the Bay Area, the Oakland and all the other stuff that come with that, right? That doesn't mean that, you know, I wasn't around it, but I had a, I had something that guided me, right? So, you know, with the absent, my father being gone, football was the, was the kind of guiding light. Like, if I want to do this, if I want to accomplish something in this sport, right, and I want to go to college and I want to do all these things, you know, I got to stay the path of what it takes, right? So that meant eating healthy and then staying away from weed and drugs and all those kind of things, staying away from the, you know, the behavior that comes, the bad behavior that comes with, you know, growing up in the streets of Oakland. So it was just a lot of stuff that just, I just didn't do because I had a, I had a goal. I set a goal. And at the time, my goal was just to go to college, right? It was to have fun playing football and go to college. Didn't think about NFL at the time. Didn't think about those kind of things. I just wanted a free education. Do you have really good memories of your dad then? I mean, 13 is still old enough to maybe hold near and dear. Absolutely. You know, images, stories. I imagine you probably even remember saying good goodbye to him with that disease. You're able to be there yeah. for that. Yeah, uh, I, I do, man. My father was a present father, meaning that he was never not around. Like, that, that was, you know, he taught, he taught all of us what fatherhood truly was. You know, he was a... You know, not a father, sometime father, not a, you know, we, we, you know, he separated from mom at the time, but it was still never, my father was all the time. My father took care of me. I stayed with my dad. I, I was, a, you know, I would go to my mom's house on the weekend, but I stayed with my father. Um, and he just was, for me and my, my brothers and sisters, he was that, that pillar, that strong black man that we saw in our household every day, went to school. He, he, he meant so much, not just to us, but he meant so much to the community, meant so much to his students. I mean, even to this day, I run into his students all over the country and say, your father impacted my life and changed my life. It wasn't, people tell me all the time, if it wasn't for your father, I wouldn't be here today. So to hear that from just people all over the country about my father, um, imagine the impact he had on us in the household. And so, yeah, I was there when my dad took his last breath, man. He had leukemia. It was the first time we, uh, you know, I never understood what leukemia was until that time, understanding that it's a disease, a blood disease, but it affects black and white people differently in the sense that, you know, um, there's a registry. It is there is cures for, it, but the registry for for marrow donors is a lot uh, is a lot slimmer in the black community than it is for the white community because we just don't go to the blood banks and donate blood or, or or get tested and give give our you know go and do that. So you know his chances of survival were a lot less than his counterparts. So something we learned we started the and my mom actually started the AMBA Foundation, an African American Marrow Donor Association, um, to try to save his life. Um, that was something that she did. So I you know. Went through that process. We did donor drives all over California to try to save his life and just getting people in to start getting in that bank in that, you know, so that we can, you know, see if we can find a match for him. So I do remember those times. I remember, you know, 
like I said, when he on his on his final final breath, man, I remember being there. It pulled me out of school. I remember like it was yesterday. It pulled me out of school, and I just got to be there with him. Uh, he wasn't conscious, but he was breathing. And then at, you know, hours and hours went by, but I was holding his hand and holding him throughout that period of time when he took his last breath. So it was it was something I had to be there. It was something that was very traumatic, but it was also something that I you know it's part of my journey, man. But it, it just yeah. it's just one of the things I just felt built me for for everything that was to come. Yeah, I, I can't imagine what it, what it was like to to live through something like that at that age. It just reminds me of a, actually a, a player that you probably even covered in the open field at, at some point. I'm trying to think the timelines that they cross. Dallas Clark, mm-hmm. um, yeah. tight end. So great yes, sp- player. Yeah. Oh yeah, unbelievable. And, and I mean, he, he kind of tiptoes around this point because it is. It is delicate, but his mother died in his arms when he was a high school senior, and um, it was really, really tragic, traumatic, all of that. And he's he's like, look, I don't want to, like, say I don't know what would have happened in my life if this didn't happen, but I know that that event made me. It set the course for my work ethic and everything that I went through going to Iowa, walking on, you know, seventh-string linebacker, turns into one of the best tight ends ever. Um, did that event and everything you kind of went through with your dad, did that – kind of lead you I mean you dove into football obviously and yeah, I imagine it's on your mind through it was a you know at the time like I said we didn't you know in retrospect you look back you're like wow what because I have kids now I have I have a 15 year old son and 18 year old daughter and I look back and I'm just like wow 13 years old is really young right and you know by the time I was 14 I was making decisions on my own I was doing things on my own so it was something that it, when I say it's part of my journey, it was it was it, it literally built me who I am today, right? Because without my father being there to help handhold me, I had to grow up really fast, and, and especially in Oakland. And my mom, like I said, my mom was on her journey, so she wasn't as attentive to me at that period of time as she probably should have, because she was attentive to her own mental health, right? My 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 brothers, my siblings were attentive to their own mental health, so I think there was this Hannibal was out there to kind of fend for himself and figure out what is life after your father being gone. What does that look like, right? And like I said, my father was, I mean, he was the chef in our house. He cooked for us. He took us out. He taught us. He educated us. I mean, he was everything to us, right? So for him to be gone, it was like unbelievable. It was almost like disbelief, right? That your that your father or this pillar of your life is gone. So for me, it was just, I you know, it drove me in a different way, right? I, I understood. I always thought about what my father would want me to do. That was that was one of the situations where every decision that I made moving forward. I made some bad decisions. I ain't gonna say I never made bad decisions, but I think I always thought about what my father would do and what he thinks of what I'm doing and what he'd be proud of what I'm doing. So it just drove me, man. And I think the sorrow that I had, I put into football. I think football made me happy. You know, football, he loved football. I love football and football made me happy. And I think it's something, like I said, I look back now, I think I just put all my energy and all my processes into football and track, right? I ran track and he was a track runner. So I think those are the things that just drove me it gave me something, gave me an outlet, right? To not think about that, but it was, it was hard, man. It, I still think it was, it took years and years and years, even, I mean, I, I don't even know if it ever goes away, but I think it was the trauma of my father leaving. It was trauma, but it, it was trauma that I had to grow from, right? It was, tra- everybody has trauma in their life and it's how you would deal with that adversity. And I think it's something that I talk with my ch- children and I mentor, and I say children, not just my kids, but I say children, because I do a lot of foundation work and I always talk about overcoming adversity. And that's really, to me, is what's built me, right? And I think everybody in their life is going to have this point in their life where they're going to deal with some crazy adversity. 
and and they're gonna have they're gonna have to grow from it, right? They're gonna they're gonna have to make decisions to either grow from that or let it destroy you. And for me, I, I wasn't gonna be one of them kids where oh, his dad died and then he became this this juvenile kid and was doing all these different things and went the wrong path. I never wanted that to be my journey because I still was guided by what my dad and the, and the foundation and tracks that he laid for me. So it was, like I said, it, it was a bittersweet thing because obviously you look back, it was tra so tragic and tra traumatic for me, but it, it was the turning point in my life. I mean, you go to Colorado, you get to the NFL, fourth round draft pick. I mean, what, yeah. what fueled you as a football player then? I mean, how, at what point did you realize holy hell, I could be a professional right. football player. I don't know if I ever, it took me a while to, because I don't think I thought in that context, right? I think it's different day and time. I think nowadays, young kids, like I want to be in the NFL. I don't think for me, I had, I didn't have examples of men in my life or people in my life. I hadn't met a lot of professional athletes. So I didn't think, I didn't think that I couldn't, but I never thought, I never was, you know, I didn't grow up like, I want to be a football player, professional, I want to play in the NFL. That wasn't my thing. So like I told you initially, my, my thing was get a free education, go to college. That, that, that was always beating to our head for my dad, my mom, like go to school, get an education, going to college. Like that was not an option in our, in our household. Going to college was something you had to do. So football was my way to like, oh, at least I get to go play football at college, right? So I just wanted to go to college and get a free education. And I always felt that I can compete with anybody, right? So then when I got to college in Colorado, I, I, I played as a freshman. I didn't register in Colorado back then. We were in the top five in the country. so. You know, it's not the Colorado today, which we'll be back some. We'll be back some. But um, <laughs> yeah, you know, back, back then, Colorado was a powerhouse. And, um, you know, coming in as a freshman and being able to play and do all that stuff, it was, you know, you start to understand. You see guys that you play with and play against going to the NFL. And, you know, maybe like my sophomore, junior year, you start like, well, let me let's see what this looks like. You know, I, I remember after my junior year, everybody expected me to go to the NFL, but I, I wasn't even thinking about the NFL. I was like just playing and trying to be the best handle I could be. So I think it was probably my junior year was when it really sunk into me that, you know, hey, you got a shot at the NFL and let, you know, let's let's go do what we got to do. I just remember being a kid, like, like I'm sure everybody that watched, watched you or the defenses you were on and you just see and hear Hannibal Navies. I'm, I'm, I'm picturing like, you know, foaming at the mouth probably some blood dripping too. Like you're just decapitating people out there. So for people who don't remember, what, what kind of linebacker though were, were you exactly? What do you distinguish your game? Man, I was a, I had to be a physical linebacker. I mean, you know, I played in the big 12 back when the big 12 was the big 12 and you know, you're playing against, you know, 280 pound fullbacks and big running backs and they <laughs> run the ball all day. And, you know, in the early parts of the NFL where you had to, you had to, you had to hit, you know, you had to, there was no, concussion protocol back then, right? There was no not hitting with your helmet. I mean, that's what we did, right? So I was a, I was a pounder, man, I, but I could run though. So I was, I was a, you know, one of those guys that could come in there and, and hit a fullback, but I could also cover tight end and get in the flats and, and, you know, cover some receivers if I need be. I was out there in the nickel and dime packages as well. So I could, you know, I could rest the passer, hit, you know, stop the run. And I prided myself on my cover skills. You know, I thought I was a track guy. So I thought I was a linebacker that could run. So. You know, just being able to do all things uh, was was my thing. I think that's why I was able to stay in the league long enough because it wasn't, you know, I could do a little bit of everything. So that was my thing. Best hit? What, what, what hit do you still think of to this day? And I think, oh, man, that was – that's when I'll never forget. <laughs> well, it's hard in the NFL, man, to think because, I mean, you put so many games. But I, I do have to go back to my Colorado days. I go back and say – 
it's mm -hmm. kind of the one that put me on the map, man. It was, I was a freshman. And I don't know if you remember Leland McElroy. He was up for the Heisman from Texas A&M, oh, yeah. right? So yeah, Leland McElroy, it was Texas and, and playing Texas A&M on ABC. This is my first ABC game. I'm a freshman, I'm gonna kick off and all the special teams and all that kind of stuff. And he was literally averaging 50 yards of return. He's leading the Heisman race. And so I'm just like, so I remember all week we're emphasizing the kickoff, just making sure we contain him on kickoff. And fourth quarter, tight game, Texas A&M, Colorado. It could have gone either way. And I remember running down on kickoff. And it was, it was, it was just a moment, man, just knocked him out cold. So was able to run down and knock him out, right? So he didn't come back in the game. So I felt like I had a, <laughs> I had something to do with that win because he, didn't, he wasn't able to come back and finish the game and play. So we had a little edge because he wasn't in the backfield anymore. But they gave him the smelling sauce on the sideline. And that was like my big come to, you know, introduction to college football. Like, okay, Hannibal Navies, who is this guy? Like, you know, I made, you know, my first Sports Illustrated article and all these other kind of things. So it was, that, was my, uh, that was my freshman claim to fame that kind of put me on the map, man. They, so they gave him smelling salts on the sideline? Oh, yeah, they gave him the sideline. I look back at the tape. They gave, they're on the sideline giving him smell of sauce. He was done. He was done. Well, can, can cost another injury. What, what's going on there? What would what, what, what you <laughs> knock him out with here? What's that? What, what was his injury? What, what happened? Oh. It was just oh. – or did he just, maybe he just tapped out. No, nah, I, I won't say he tapped out because I'm not. I know him now, right? So <laughs> I would say he tapped out, but I mean <laughs> – I guess now we know what concussions are. If he's knocked out, he, I guess he had a concussion. So he was he was he was not able to come back. He he was too woozy. So I guess it was concussion. That that's what it was then, right? I mean, you didn't really yeah. know. There was nobody diagnosing these no, hits we didn't as concussions. Know back then. You know how many people I see get knocked out back in the day and still play? They would get knocked out one quarter, come back another quarter and play. But we didn't know we know about concussions back then that we don't now. So I mean it's it was a wild, wild west yeah. back then, man. I want to say, so you were in Green Bay in 2003 and 2004. I remember a game against the Giants maybe in 04 where Brett Favre, like, he got blasted. He suffered a concussion. I think he ran out one play, came back in and threw a touchdown to Javon Walker. I mean, that, that's just yeah. what it was then. It was like that. Javon, yeah, that's – you know, that dude was hardcore too. That dude missed no start for like 20 years straight. That's incredible. I don't know how in the back then either with concussions and he broke fingers and backs and I, I don't know how he did it, but yeah, that dude was a tough dude. Tough dude. So you just missed Carolina's run to the Super Bowl, I believe, right? Yeah. Would have been the next year. By a year, yep. By a year. But that 03 Packers team, that that was a group that probably could have won it, I'd imagine. We should have, yeah. The thing is, I left Green Bay. I mean, I left Carolina. They went to Super Bowl that year, but we were supposed to play them in the in the NFC Championship that year. Like we were a game away. We were we were, and we were kicking Philly's butt. And then they they that fourth and twenty six game. And that's that's when they threw that pass to Freddie Mitchell fourth and twenty six, and they ended up going to Super Bowl. But uh, yeah, that's actually they didn't go to Super Bowl. They lost to Carolina. But that's yeah, that's yeah, that's the game we were actually going to go play Carolina. I just knew we were going to play Carolina. I was I was so ready to go play my whole team. I was so motivated. I'm like, we're going. to we're gonna go play Carolina and beat them, but they uh, at four for twenty six, man. I still remember that to this day. That was the hardest loss I've ever had, man. Four for twenty six, like who who gets that? How do you get a four for twenty six in in the playoff game to win it? Never I don't even it. know where we start on fourth and twenty. I'm I glad know, you brought man. it up because I I was gonna bring it up and I didn't, but I wasn't sure if that was you know <laughs> it's, trauma, it's a football subject, trauma. But I'm over it now. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was the team, though. I mean, that was the team of destiny, right? Brett's um, losing his dad, his his dad, and then having yeah, that Monday night man. game we against Oakland. Run, you're yes. back in your hometown, that Oakland game. I mean, your Seattle playoff game, and, and then that 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 Philly game. You guys are just running all over. And I've talked to Amon Green about it. I think everybody did. Why did we not go for it on that fourth and short before the fourth and 26? That would have ended, ended the game right there. I know. You know why I think we didn't? Because we were we were up 14 to nothing. And I think we went for it earlier on in the game to go up, to try to go up. And we didn't get it, I believe. Like, I think we put up 14 nothing and we were about to go up 21 nothing. And we went for it on fourth instead of kicking field or going for it. And I think they stopped it and then they went back down and scored. So it was instead of being 21 to nothing, it was 14 to seven. And I think later in the game, when they were faced with that, they're like, nah, we're not going to go for it. I think they just, but we let that one get away from us, man. I still think about that to this day. What happened on fourth and 26? It's, if you're thinking about it every day, is there one aspect of the play that still kind of blows your mind? Like, what? I don't even, I mean, I know I blitzed them that play. I don't know why I was blitzing. I don't know why I did any of that stuff. I don't, I mean, they called a blitz, I blitzed, but I don't know, you know, all I can say is next year they got rid of the defensive coordinator and I don't, you know, I don't know if it's that play that got them going, but I think it was. But Ed Donatel is a great defensive coordinator. I wish we would have kept him, but I think they got him up out of here just because of that play. We That's came right. After, we came after them on that play. I don't know why, but we did. <laughs> We came after them on that play. Yeah. I know it. And they just to get it off, you know, fourth and twenty-six. I think we just we came after them, man. I, I you know, you got to respect it when you're like, okay, as a player, you're like, fourth and twenty-six, we're going after them. All right, cool. But then you look back, you're like, should we have done that? Should we have dropped more people? <laughs> we didn't drop a whole lot of people. We, we came for them. So I mean, I think that was probably our downfall right there, man. So there, there was a little voice in your in your head thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't be blitzing here, but you got to do what you're told, and you're a football player, and you want to hit somebody. Of course, they're going to go. You know, honestly, when they said for, when we called the blitz, oh, let's go. I mean, for, who gets fourth and twenty six, especially with right. pressure? I mean, I'm just like, we're riding high, and we got some good DBs in the back end. We had Al Harris and Darren Sharper, and all these different peoples. You know, we I was. I was comfortable with it, man. It just, you know, Freddie Mitchell, I only caught like 10 passes that year. And that just happened to be one of them. So, and me and Freddie are good friends now. I, mean, I talk about it all the time. He he rubs it in all the time. Every year, every year he does the anniversary of this 4th and 26 pass. I'm just like, but that's my guy. That's my guy. You're close with Freddie Mitchell? You still, yeah, Freddie you know, pretty well? Yes, a good friend of mine. Wow. He'll always Donovan, have that. Donovan is a really good friend of mine, and Freddie Mitchell is a good friend of mine. So I have to live with that all the time, man. Yeah, yeah. I, I loved how Freddie Mitchell, like even even as a young Packer fan, he had to respect how he just maximized that moment in time, right? Like he he it, it was a little bit more than fifteen minutes of fame, but I can definitely remember him leaning into that celebrity. You know, yeah. he did the belt. Long before Aaron Rodgers even thought about the yeah, belt, all the that. Fred X. People don't know that he did the belt before Aaron Rodgers did it. Man, that was his thing. The people's champ. Yeah. The people's <laughs> champ. That's right. <laughs> He's the people's champ. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. So last one there though. How good was that Packers team? That 0-3 team. Um, for people who might not remember, it's been twenty it's probably years. Probably one of now. the best teams. I've, 
probably one of the best teams I've been on. I think that we've been slept on because I think that four for 26 kind of snubbed us out. But towards the end of that year, man, we were rolling, man. We, like I said, Javon Walker, Donald Driver, uh, Ferguson, Ma Green. We had a great offensive line that year. Brett Favre, our, our back end. We had good, you know, even on defense. Like I said, Al Harris, Dan Sharper, myself, Nick Barnett, Mael Diggs. I mean, we, you know, Cletus Hunt. We had some, yeah. you know, Baja Biamila on the on the edge, you know, Am Catman. We had some, we had some good players, man. So we, you know, I thought we were good, and we peaked at the right time, right? So towards the end of the year, like you said, you mentioned that Monday night football game, which is one of the most memorable, you know, games of my life as well, because of the scenario with his dad dying. But I mean, we just went out there and just destroyed the Raiders on Monday night football and just continued to just keep rolling. I mean, my green was running, you know, he was I think he was can't remember his his stats that year, but he was killing. He was killing. I mean, he was the top one, two running backs in the league that year. So, I mean, that team was really good, man. I, I'm just, that's one of the only regrets. You can't really regret it because it's not anything I could control, but that team, man, we never got that back. You know, you know how it is. And that's what I used to tell the young, young players, like, don't assume the team this year is going to be the same team next year. It never, it never works out that way because you would think like, okay, this team is so good. Next year, we got a shot. We were good, but we were not the same team that we were the year before. That was probably your best year, too, as a pro, right? I'm just looking yeah. at it. 88 yeah. tackles. You had a sack. Yeah. I mean, your, your defense really was peaking at the right time. Yeah. That, when you that look was, back at your playing career, what kind of stands out? Um, I think Green Bay stands out because of the fanfare. I love Green Bay for that, man. It was, you know, Carolina just got drafted early. In, their, in the days of Carolina, they were still a new franchise. So, you know, the fan the fanfare was still growing. They're still getting used to their team. So it wasn't the same. You know, we used to have home games in, in Carolina, and it would be more visitors. We, when we played the Cowboys, there's more Cowboy fans than, than Carolina fans. I mean, that's not unusual. The Cowboys travel well. But it was it was like that pretty often back then. Um, but went to Green Bay, a totally different culture, man. I mean, you got – you know, 70,000 people showing up to a, a you know, a practice <laughs> at, at the stadium, you know, you, you got, you showing up for training camp and the people are waiting outside in lines just to see you in training camp. So it was a different, different culture. I mean, I enjoyed, enjoyed playing in Green Bay. You know, the fans were great. Um, so that was a good experience. And just for me, it was uh, probably, that year was probably one of my, one of my, one of my years that I didn't have a real injury that kept me out because NFL is injury prone, right? You just get, you always have little things in here and there. So I think that was the only year that I didn't miss a game. Um, so was able to get my, get my groove, man. NFL is for me, the thing that really held me back was just injuries, man. It was always something, having a great year, then something happened. It was just always something, but that's just how football goes. That's why I teach my son. He's just got to be prepared for that adversity that's coming, but football is football, man. But I, I you know, still able to fight through it but no that was that was a good year for me you never know what's going on under the hood but you look good we're talking here on uh on video um but how how do you feel after those years of punishment delivering punishment i mean i can't wait to hear about what you're into today post football but just just physically what kind of state are you in i mean you know i have to do extra to make sure that my body you know stays to the point where I can, can can manage things, right? You know, I have the same typical things. You got your knees, your back. My back was my thing, right? So my, my back was probably why I ended my career. Like I, I had to probably could have played a couple more years, but I think my back was just telling me like, you need to sit down somewhere. So my, 
my back was my main thing. I have herniated discs, yeah. bulging discs in my back and all that kind of stuff, bulging discs in my neck. Like I told you, back then the linebackers, we were we were smash mouth, right? So all my back and my neck is, is just all part of the deal. Me, shoulder, has shoulders, you know, shoulders, all that stuff. So, but I do a lot to maintain it, man. So, I, you know, I, I'm not – I know a lot of players that have a lot worse and are dealing with a lot worse than me after the game, so I'm not complaining about it. But it is something that if you don't manage it, it can be pretty bad. So that's one of the things, you know, especially when we work at the NFLPA, that I encourage players, former players, to stay up on their health and, and do the things they need to do to keep their bodies right. Because we have to do more than a normal person as we age because our bodies have been in car crashes every, not just on Sunday, we're in car crashes every day in training camp. I mean, you got to understand the training camps back then were not like training camps now. There's rules against the training camps now that we had back then. I mean, you can only be in pads like six, eight times. We were in pads every day, twice a day. Right. So, so, I mean, so we're doing, you know, full go drills twice a day for like four weeks, five weeks, right. Training camp now is, is like maybe two weeks, maybe. Right. Uh, so it's just a different time, man. So we had a lot of wear and tear. So imagine going through a car crash every single day with your body. Right. And so that's, that's what we did. That's, that was the time back then. But like I said, I do what I got to do. I do my yoga. I do my low impact stuff to keep me going, but you have to keep moving. You got to do your stuff. You got to eat right you know, and do all those things. So I have to do a little extra to keep my body right, but uh, it's there. You know, I'm like, I'm like, I tell people I'm like a used car. I look good. So you take me off the lot, drive me around. I might have a little hiccups here and there, but I look good to get off the lot. <laughs> I know we laugh, but I mean, you mentioned concussions earlier. I met, did you suffer a handful of those too from what, what you knew well, would qualify? Well, I would say this. Now knowing what concussions are, um, I would say yes, but at the time I've never been like knocked out and had to get carried off the field or anything like that. I, I didn't, yeah. you know, I, I consider myself the dude giving the punishment, not getting it. So luckily I was delivering the blows. Sometimes delivering those blows, you get, you get it yourself. And so I do remember several times where I'm delivering those blows and you feel that wooziness, you feel, you see the stars, you know, you feel like you have the headaches after the games that last for a whole day, day and a half. I mean, you have, but you know what they are now, right? But back then I was just, it literally was part of the game. Headaches and, and helmet headaches or whatever we called them back then was literally just part of the game. We didn't know any different, right? So I think that's the different trend now is players, a lot of players are retiring early because they understand and educated on what, they, what their body's going through. We weren't at that point. We didn't understand what we were doing. So we made decisions based off of that. So we were just fighting through it. It doesn't seem like it was too hard for you to find a purpose in life, though, post-NFL, right? I mean, today... You're working at uh, United Charitable, sure. is that right? Yeah. VP of Development. Maybe, uh, I guess, kind of start with how you got into all your philanthropy, all all the ways that you give back, because it seems like you really do a ton. Yeah, I do a ton, man. I mean, it wasn't hard for me to find my passion because I've, I've never defined myself as a football player. I always fought against that, right? And hmm. sometimes that was... Uh, probably a hindrance of me uh, at some point in time because I didn't define myself as a football player. So I mean, back in the, I remember having conversations with people back in the day, and they would try to have, you know, these very intricate football conversations, and I would just kind of shy away from them because I didn't want to be, you know, seen as just a football player. Um, so I, you know, transitioning out, even though I, I am and I identify as a football player, and other people identify me as a football player, and that was my life's work. You know, for me leaving out, I felt very confident that. I could do something else and find my passion. I didn't 
always know. I thought I knew. Everybody thinks they have a direction and they know, and it always changes and turns, right? What you start off is not where you're going to end up. But I was very confident as I, as I left that I'll be able to be okay to do something, right? I, I believed in myself. I believed that I was more than football. So, because at some point in time, you got to walk the walk, right? If you say you're more than football, some point in time, you got to walk that walk. And so I just believe that if I can make it to be the best in the world at something, I can make it to be the best in the world at something else. If I apply the same work ethic and the same things, the same principles that I took from, you know, working in the NFL. The NFL is a, is a big corporate corporation, you know? So it's like, it's, a, it, it's if I take, a lot of NFL players don't understand that they've worked in corporate America. They say, oh, I play football, but I've never worked in corporate America like you have. Like NFL is one of the biggest, you know, companies in the world, right? And so I just had to apply those things to my next part of my life. But, you know, the hardest part is just the passion part, right? Is finding your passion and purpose. And for me, I, you know, I started giving back. I told you my upbringing with my father, he was always into giving, always into activism, always into helping the community. And that just was something who I was and my family was. And so... Uh, before I ended my career, actually, I was playing in Green Bay. I started the Hannibal Natives Foundation and started doing just youth football camps. My youth football camps grew to be much more than just youth football camps. Um, and then when I retired from football, those youth football camps grew to being 360 Sports Academy, which became my business and my, and my foundation moving forward, which was really around leadership development through athletics. And I felt it was super important to talk about the journey of making it to the NFL, right? And how we, how do you get to NFL as a young man? Because I, like I said, I was 13 years old, just growing into it, 14 years old, going into football. I started playing, my first time playing football as a freshman in high school, right? So I didn't have a lot of guidance into getting to college and how to get there and stuff. So me, I just, and, and then what it takes to get to college and stay there, and what it takes to get to NFL and stay there and be successful. So a lot of people focus on getting there, but they don't focus on staying there and sustaining it or even if you don't make it, what are the things, the skill sets that you learn along the way that are going to sustain you in life, not just sustain you in football? So for me, you know, 360 sport, football sports academy was really about, I want to give you the best sports performance, right? The best fundamentals of football and, and sports for sure, and have the best trainers and the best people teaching. And I felt like, you know, the NFL, former NFL players or NFL players are like the PhDs, right? So they should be able to teach this, right? So let me bring you the best teachers on the field, but let me bring you the best teachers off of the field as well. So we brought in subject matter experts in the classroom and talked about financial literacy, which I saw a lot, a lot of, you know, back then there was a lot going on where we just, our finances weren't being taught to us, right? So I went to college and, and played in the NFL, but not one time did anybody teach us about finances, right? So nobody prepared us for those things and nobody prepared us for a lot of things that we went through. So 360 Sports Academy was really about teaching the other things off the field, like, because I, I feel like athletes are leaders, right? So leaders should develop for athletics. We can breed more athletes to be leaders and they understand their leaders, whether they make it or not, right, to the NFL or whether they make it to college or not. They're still on this journey. Remember I told you that guidance started that guided me, that kept me off the beaten path. So if you have something that gives you focus and you do all the right things to get to that, you're going to be better off, right? So that's what I focused on to get, you know, as I transitioned out of football, and I didn't know it at the time, like as I, as I look at transition, that helped me transition. It helped me be better handleable. It gave me a purpose, gave me a focus, it regained my guiding light. So it became my focus and that guided me through, through everything that I did from there forward. I, you know, I'm an entrepreneur, I'm a social entrepreneur, I call myself. So it just guided me through everything else I did since then and just morphed from there, uh, worked at the NFL Players Association um, at the Trust, uh, which was a new division that they, they brought me on at the very beginning to help um, to define and build, which helped former players, current and former players transition from football. So imagine that, right? I was a guy probably five years retired who had gone through some transition, right? You're never really done transitioning 
who had gone through some transitioning who could now look at players going through that and help mentor them through, help build programs for them, help guide them through that next part of the transition, help them get jobs, help them go back to school, help them deal with their mental health. Um, so that became a passion of mine as well. And I also credit that with helping me transition even more, right? Because you think you know your trend, you, you think you understand your transition or you think you're transitioned or you think you know your transition, but when you look at the whole total pie and look at other players and what they go through, it's a, it's a lot to it, right? There's a lot to transition and, and you start to understand yourself because you see yourself in them. Because we're not separate, right? You can't look at a player like, oh, that's that player, but we're all part of the same, the same kind of pie, right? So for me, I was able to look at other people and what they went through and, and help them guide them and mentor them through, but also be able to look at myself and make sure that I kept myself on my square as well, right? So that's when I began to learn um, everything I know about mental health was through the trust, right? So me, not just learning it academically, I, take, I took a lot of courses and got certified a lot of stuff uh, mental health wise to work there, but also learned it from just doing it and being a part and helping people through mental health issues. And so, and just being with people and dealing with people with it. So I have, you know, just able to see it and deal with it and help people through that. So just understanding the mental health thing changed my life as well, understanding what mental health really was. And so this is before, you know, people really used the tag of mental health and get help and do this and ask. It wasn't there back then. So we had to deal with the stigma of it. We had to deal with, you know, the resource of it. There weren't really uh, very many resources back then. So just helping people, we were just piecing things together back then, helping people get help, helping players get help uh, mentally. And I think going through all those things, understanding how one helps the other, understanding that how getting a job or not getting a job can affect your mental health. You know, dealing with your finances and not dealing with your finances can help mental health. How you deal with your children post-retirement, your wife and all these different things can contribute or help to your mental health. And, and it's all one, it's, it's all kind of connects together. So it's not just one thing, some person just gets mental health and goes off the, off the scale. It's a lot of different things that go on with a player when they transition to understanding their new identity, to understanding how they're gonna earn money again, how they're gonna take their family, you know, understanding that, you know, they, you're basically telling somebody at 26, 27 years old, you pretty much reached the pinnacle of your life. So the rest, rest part of your life is just gonna go down here, down here from there, right? Like that's basically what they're trying, you know, what people think. And so getting them to understand that there's a lot more life in front of them and how do you get there, right? How do you make sense out of that? How do you get a job? How do you fill out a resume when all your resume just has football on it, right? How do you begin to dig through all that, right? So that was part of, of things that I helped, but also learned going through that process as well. And I think it made me a better better person and better in my transition and better as I uh, mentor young athletes through this whole process. And that's all phenomenal, Hannibal. I mean, you've probably helped save so many lives just through conversations. I mean, and it probably isn't like cookie cutter. I'd imagine all of these players have their own hardships, their own questions, their own difficult paths to kind of navigate into post NFL life. But is there a, is there a common thread here? I mean, what what do you see as helping guys most? Helping guys most uh, transition. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's a very, it's hard to pinpoint everybody's different, right? But I think it's really just, um, you know, we put so much and focus into, we're, we were the best in the world. The NFL is literally the best in the world. The 1%, 1% ever make it there, right? 1% ever, think about all the great college players and all the great high school players you've seen. Only 1% in the world ever play in the NFL. And, and so, you work your butt off to be the best in the world for however long period of time you, you play in the NFL. And to do that, you have to have tunnel vision. You have to have focus. You have to kind of shut down the outside noise. 
So developing yourself outside of football, even though we talk about it, and you talk, you can tell a player all you want to that you know this, you know, every game could be your last game. Yeah, but the competitors and gladiators we are, we don't think about that. We're thinking about how do I continue to be the best player I can, and to be the best player, I can't necessarily be the best at running this business. I can't be the best at running, you know, this off the field stuff and be the best investor. Although there's there's anomalies to it, right? We've seen athletes be do that while they're playing, but for the most part, your focus has to be on that. I looked at myself. I started my foundation out in certain businesses and. Off season, I would be in it. Season came, I had to kind of shut that down, start training again. I had to have tunnel vision. So, how much can my business actually grow? My foundation could really grow if I'm putting it up and setting it down every year. But I had to stay focused on the football part, right? And so, I think that that is one of the things that makes us the best. But it's also one of the things that makes us the worst when we transition because now we're so singular focused for so long because we had to be. And I don't. It's not a knock because to be the best at something, you got to do that, right? You gotta be. You gotta focus on what that is, and so that singular focus. When you're done, now becomes like, dang, okay, I was so singular focused. Now I have to open my 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 spectrum and figure out what am I good at, what are my interests, what are my passions, and then how do I apply what I was good at to my next role, my next job. And that's not always easy. So I think it's everybody's different. Everybody has a different personality. Everybody was a different kind of player. Everybody has a different kind of work ethic. Everybody has different insecurities or different confidence levels, right? Of you know, how confident can you be going into business when you haven't done business, right? You train for football, you're confident on a football field every day because you've been training your butt off, the preparation is there, the development is there. But when you're done with football, you go into your first business or your first venture or your first whatever, you, you, can you be as confident as you as you really want to be? Because you don't you're not as prepared as you were before, right? So you gotta think when you get to the NFL, there's thousands of hours that you put in already. Right. So how do you become the best businessman in the world all of a sudden? It doesn't happen overnight. Right. So that process to become the next best version of you takes time. And so everybody doesn't you know that sometimes everybody doesn't make it through that journey of time that it takes to become the next version of you. And there's a lot of things in the middle that goes on. Right. From, you know, my own journey. I've been through divorce. I've been through good businesses, bad businesses. I've been through a lot of different things and journeys. But all of it for me has been part of my process and getting better and learning. But I've always chased something and did things that were purposeful to me, right? No matter what it was, I was always able to, to chase things that was purposeful to me. And I think that, you know, focusing on things once post-career developing yourself, right? You have to reinvent, that people use the word reinvent, but I just say redevelop because you gotta learn the, other, the next thing that you're doing. Now you gotta become an expert at the next thing that you're doing, right? And so that's the part that I always encourage uh, my players, any, any professional athlete or anybody that's going to the next level of anything, you must prepare yourself for the next level of what that is. So imagine, imagine a doctor that went to medical school, became the best in the world as a doctor and practiced medicine for 10 years. And then one day he said, you can never practice medicine again. You can do other things, but you can't be a doctor anymore. What do you think that doctor would do? That doctor would go through the same process that an NFL player goes through. They were the best in the world as a doctor and had this knowledge level, not have to change that knowledge level to do something else and be good at something else totally. So the same thing that we go through as, as players. And I think that's really, what we have to kind of the sweet spot we have to figure out, right? And just life happens, right? And so when life happens, you have to know how to deal with it and have the tools to deal with it as well. So for instance, when, I, when my father passed away at 13, I just was blessed to get through that process. I didn't have the tools to deal with that trauma. I just dealt with it through football and different things. But how do you deal with trauma? How do you get in, in losing the game of football? It's, it's, some, it's trauma. Some people equate that to losing a person, right? Because that was your identity. That was part of your life. So you lose football. How do you deal with that trauma? How do you emotionally deal with it? 
and what tools and resources do you have to move forward? So, it's remarkable. I mean, I, I I can't imagine how difficult it is for so many guys. Um, we've we've talked to a handful of them on here, but you've got eighty thousand people cheering you on, screaming your name, right? Yeah. I mean, that's on top of this all. Like, it's not just like you love it and you've done it your whole life since you were four or five years old in Pop Warner, but you're revered, you're celebrated. Yeah. Um, every mm-hmm. room you walk into, it's like your reputation precedes you. And yeah, it's, it's hard. So kudos to you, Hannibal, for giving back. And Thank you. Thank you. you're still doing it. I mean, if any players out there want to find you, I imagine your your phone's probably always open. I mean, you want to just yeah. kind of give back. Yeah, and, and I didn't get into, you know, what I do now. And I left, you know, the trust in NFL PA because it was something that was very close to my heart, which is, is United Charitable. And it was a decision I made to do because, you know, philanthropy and athletes and philanthropy, I really, I, I strongly believe that athletes can be the best philanthropists because of their brand, because of, like you said, they're revered by thousands and millions of people. And, and, and for me, you know, I left to be the vice president developer for United Charitable and help them spearhead athletes charitable, which is the vision of United Charitable just help athletes start, run, and sustain their foundations because they can, their impact can be tremendous, right? And so for me, I really believe in that. So that's what I do now. I help individuals, obviously. I help companies, but also help professional athletes start, run, and sustain their foundations, help create that impact. So I help multiply the impact. So I have work with all kinds of professional athletes from football, basketball, uh, baseball, golfers, even a couple of entertainers, um, and really just, you know, Take their help them take their brand and their influence to create more good, right? You know, not saying that the regular person on the street can't create good because it happens all the time and every day. But imagine when the passion is there to take the millions of people that are revered by you and you putting a purpose and putting something meaningful in front of them, they'll follow you. The impact can just grow. So uh, that's that's why I got into this. That's why I decided to transition to Athletes Charitable, United Charitable, because the you know, I just feel the impacts not just from me being there and the athletes they could have, but just if you multiply that, right, I felt like not just Hannibal anymore, not just Hannibal Nature's Foundation, not just 360, but if I can take what I've learned and done and multiply that by, you know, hundreds and hundreds of programs under United Charitable, um, how amazing can that be? So that's that's what I do now. Love it. Love it. Hey, th- thanks so much for breaking it all down. Um, <laughs> if people want to find you, we, we connected on a good old fashioned LinkedIn. So thanks yeah. for Yes. linking up there but if uh socials instagram twitter where where do you want people to find hannibal yeah, you find me on, uh, yes instagram is at bull navies uh facebook is hannibal navies all that simple stuff but you can find me uh unitedcharitable.org you can also go to athletescharitable.org and hear more about what we do um and how we're helping people in philanthropy like i said it's an amazing thing to be able to help anybody anybody can do it we make it easy for for people right and that's our job that's what we do at united charitable we we work in in resources through philanthropy where we're able to turnkey uh foundations for people so they can make it really easy so they don't have to you know deal with the irs and all the licenses that come along with it and all the paperwork and all the things that come along with starting the foundation we handle that and do all that and make sure all that works for them so we make it easy so anybody out there that wants to don't ever feel like you can't make a difference everybody can make a difference whether you're you know, Joe Blow or whether you're, you know, a Hall of Famer. We have Hall of Famers on our thing now that really just want to give. And so, you know, whatever it is, we make it easy. We make it attainable for them to do so. We don't make it such a, a big mountain. We, we kind of take care of all that stuff so they can be the brand, be the face, and have the passion. And we do all the stuff on the back end for them. It just seems like you have that passion every morning, every day. I mean, it's just oh, yeah. awesome to hear, hear it yeah. in your voice. 
Yeah, it's, it's good. It's a good. It's a good job to have, man. Wake up every day and not only feed my passion, but I help other people feed their passion. So that's you don't get any better than that. Awesome. Well, hey, well, thank you so much, Hannibal. Appreciate you spending all this wow, time. Man. It's been good, man. Thanks a lot. Glad we finally connected. Yeah.